0: So many folk in our own ambit are languishing in the darkness of some tomb, hoping God or one of God's people might speak or act in such a way that we hear the resounding invitation to come forth. Leave the tomb. Be unbound. Step into the light.
1: From Chicago, it's the Old St. Pat's Podcast Sunday Series, a show that highlights weekly reflections from Old St. Patrick's Church. At times in our lives, we might find ourselves stuck, wrapped up, and metaphorically embalmed by doubt, self-consciousness, fear, depression, or addiction. And yet, can you look back on a time when, with the help of someone, you were able to throw off the chains holding you down and move through the darkness into hope? Today, Father Foley so eloquently asks us to examine how we can call others to rise up out of the things that hold them back and maybe even hear the eternal voice calling us to leave our own tomb behind and go forth and walk in the light. This past
0: week, I was having some trouble with the calendars on my iPhone. I um, don't know what I did. I don't know what app I touched or what site on the internet I had Googled, but I somehow got the National Everything Day calendar intertwined with my daily schedule, Uh, and it took some time to remove it. Uh, And as I was doing that, I learned that there are about 1,500 national or international day celebrations that occur on some calendar in the U.S. Some of these are very familiar to us, Groundhog Day on the 2nd of February, International Women's Day on March 8th. There are a host of others ranging from the profound, we know these, like Memorial Day or Veterans Day, to the completely wacky, like National Public Sleeping Day on February 28th, or National Ask a Stupid Question Day on September 28th. In that vein, I'm sure many of you are hoping that March 26th is not the Preach a Dumb Sermon Day. One of the dates, though, that did grab my attention is coming up next week on uh, Thursday, April 6th. It is National Plan Your Epitaph Day. It's described as the perfect day to figure out what you're going to have to say about yourself before you're gone that will linger after you're gone. There are very famous epitaphs, many of them published in books on the Internet. The poet Robert Frost's epitaph, I Had a Lover's Quarrel with the World. Sonny Bono, and the beat goes on. Mel Blank, the voice of a thousand voices, including Bugs Bunny, that's all, folks. And then Rodney Dangerfield's, there goes the neighborhood. (laughs) Now, the reason these epitaphs came to mind, of course, is because of this gospel. Uh, And there was actually a series of blogs on the internet today trying to figure out what would be the epitaph on Lazarus' tomb. And, of course, there had to be two of them because he died twice. Some bloggers suggested the first epitaph should read short death, or judgment delayed, or I'm at my sister's house. <laughs> Having lasagna, probably. <laughs> I don't know. But then the second epitaph, maybe I stinketh again, or this time for good, or still waiting for the Savior's voice. This gospel, long as it is, is without a doubt one of the most dramatic stories in all the gospels. But it raises a lot of questions. And one of the most pertinent questions that endures through this gospel is why did it take Jesus four days to show up with somebody that he so loved? Highlighted by the statements of both Martha and Mary, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. It's a comment that reverberates across the centuries. Sometimes rephrased as, if you had heard my prayer, my child would not have overdosed. Or if I was a better person, maybe you would have cured my cancer. Or maybe so succinctly in the musical Shrek, Princess Fiona simply says, are you there, God? Common judicial wisdom is that justice delayed is justice denied. But for believers, is a divine response delayed, a divine response denied? How do we deal with, cope with, explain the apparent silence of God in so many lives? Of course, in 1963, Simon Agarfunkel Garfunkel celebrated the sounds of silence. There's a West African proverb that says, silence is speech. The sixth century Chinese philosopher claimed that silence is a source of great strength. But the reality is we're uncomfortable with silence. Data demonstrates that especially people from the United States and Canada need to fill the void, otherwise they'll look stupid or not attentive. There are actually lots of positive things that happen if we take time, intentional silence, to like listen to our bodies that are telling us things we often ignore. Silence is one of the the boosts to our creativity. It actually helps us also process all of those negative experiences that if we don't process, they become destructive in our lives. Silence Scientists show us silence actually helps the brain to heal. Silence does not need to be unproductive or empty or diminishing. But what about the silence of God? The silence of God is such an anxiety that it can lead many to actually deny God's existence. Few experiences in human history underscore this trauma of the silence of God more than the Holocaust in World War II, the Shoah, the murder of six million people of the first covenant, the extermination of 60% of all Jews in Europe. Many intellectuals had to rethink the presence of God after this devastating experience, unthinkable genocide. In one of the most gut-wrenching scenes in Night, which is that sort of novel memoir of Elie Wiesel's own experience as a teenager in the death camps, Wiesel and others were forced to watch the execution of a young boy. And as they stood there, he began wondering and then heard this voice behind him saying, Where is God? Where is God? Some, maybe even Fazell at that moment, began to believe that evil won. And in the Holocaust, God died. The Jewish philosopher Martin Buber was one of those people who had to rethink the presence of God after the Holocaust. He had written this this classic book in, in 1923, I, Thou, about dialogue, about speaking to people as subjects and not as objects. And he'd always taught that God is continuously communicating to us. But after the Holocaust he had to rethink that. He began using a, an ancient teaching out of the Torah, Hester Panim about the hiddenness of God, the hidden face of God. Whoever knows God he says must go, go know God's remoteness and the agony of that remoteness. Think about the Christ who on the cross Experiences the absence of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Buber's rethinking and reimagining of God's presence after the Holocaust, he begins to ponder God's revelation to Moses in the burning bush when God says, I am who I am. He retranslates it into German so that it reads, I am there, as whoever I am there. In a similar vein, this wonderful Jewish theologian, Melissa Raphael, ponders God's silence, particularly in the death camps at Auschwitz, and says it's very difficult to separate the silence of God from the absence of God, the nonexistence of God. But she offers an amazing image of hope. She changes the question from where was God in Auschwitz to who was God in Auschwitz? She answers that by looking at the testimonies of unnamed women who in that horrible life, nurtured, cared for, comforted their own families, the families of others. God's face was revealed in these gracious women in a place where the very existence of God would seem to reject it. Holiness was posited in the midst of inexplicable evil. At the end of World War II, much of Europe was in ruins and even London. When you go there today, you would virtually never know it. In in London itself, over a million homes were destroyed. One in six Londoners was homeless. There were many orphaned children wandering the streets. There was a story of an American soldier driving his Jeep through the worn, torn streets, and he spied this kid, this little boy, his nose pressed up against the window of a bakery. Inside this steaming pastry shop, the cook was working this large lump of dough to make a fresh batch of donuts. Soldier stopped, walked into the shop, Bought a dozen donuts. He left the store, offered the bag to the kid, and said, "Here, I bought these for you." Boy looked at the soldier with these wide eyes. He took the bag. As the soldier began to walk away, though he felt this tug on his coat, and he turned around, and this wide-eyed kid is looking at him and says to him, "Are you God?" None of us is ever going to call a Lazarus back to life. None of us will probably ever touch the barbarism of a death camp where shattered souls begin to doubt their own humanity. But we can't emulate the Christ. We can refute God's alleged silence inspired by women of Auschwitz and in most modest ways in families and neighborhood and workplaces, even this place, those who feel entombed and abandoned by the God we profess and no longer perceive the presence of God, we can announce to them, God is here. We will not speak the Lazarus come forth. Maybe to the isolated coworker it says, let's grab lunch. To the alienated friend, I thought I'd surprise you with a phone call. To the estranged sibling, would you like to spend Easter with us? To the marginalized child, son, come home. So many folk in our own ambit are languishing in the darkness of some tomb, hoping God or one of God's people might speak or act in such a way that we hear the resounding invitation to come forth, leave the tomb, be unbound, step into the light. When simple human human kindness shatters death-like silences, the divine presence is revealed once more. The eternal voice is heard again, now amplified through attentive disciples who mirror holy care. And enable resurrection to abound once more through Christ our Lord, and the church says.
2: The in lost within my grieving, I fall and lose my way, my fragile faith.
1: Time now for announcements and events. Join Mark Skazafay for an evening of adoration and contemplative music on March 29th at 7 p.m. in the church. It'll be a peaceful, prayerful way to reflect during these last few days of Lent as we prepare for Easter. Calling all writers and actors. Encounter will be organizing Living Stations of the Cross on Good Friday, April 7th at noon. It will be live-streamed and in each station we will accompany Jesus' suffering and connect it to a social issue people in our communities are currently facing. To volunteer, help organize, play a character, or submit a story, please email Brenda at brendac at Holy Week is quickly approaching, and we have a full list of events planned, starting with Palm Sunday Mass on April 2nd, then Masses on Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. For all the details, please see this week's Crossroads publication. Then save the date for the next First Friday Club of Chicago on April 14th with Scott Turo, practicing lawyer and best-selling author. For all the details, please visit firstfridayclubchicago.org. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The homily was originally given at the 9 a.m. Mass on Sunday, March 26th, by Father Ed Foley. For more information about all resources available, visit our website at org. To stay up to date with new episodes, please follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the Old St. Pat's app. Find us on Twitter at Old St. Pat's and on Instagram at Old St. Pat's Chicago. You've been listening to the Old St. Pat's Podcast.